Welcome to the end of the Oregon Trail. All of you apparently survived. Cholera did not keep you away and dysentery. You even parked your wagons in the right spots. It's a great morning to be together. And, and really, you had two choices, to caulk the wagons and float or to ford the Clackamas or the Willamette or whichever direction you came from. And you all made the right choice, and I'm glad you're here this morning. It's not an accident that we're here in Oregon City together this morning because the landscape of New Life Church is changing as we plant another gospel outpost in this city. We've been at this work for about a year now, and next week we're beginning weekly gatherings in Oregon City aiming at a public launch sometime this fall. And it's fitting then to be in the second week of a mini-series as a church that asks the question, why do we do church the way we do church? What is it about New Life Church that is unique? Last week, if you were with us, uh, you would have heard at any of our locations that the DNA of New Life Church is that the gospel is at the center The gospel is what courses through our veins as we gather, sing, pray, teach, and look for power in ministry. It is the gospel itself, the good news that Jesus has died in our place and risen again to bring us to God that transforms every part of life here at New Life Church. This week, we admittedly get a bit more granular Okay, as I aim to describe for you how that New Life Church is organized. I'll tell you what, the, the structure of New Life Church is not really a riveting sermon topic, so I'm thrilled. But I am honestly, genuinely ecstatic about what the structure of New Life Church allows the church to do about the effect, the fruit of that structure. This morning, the reality is really this. We are one church in many locations, complementing each other in our mission to engage the Northwest. We're one church, right? Many locations. Raise your hand if New Life Church Gladstone is your church home where you belong. Fantastic. What about New Life Church Uh, Well, Iglesia Nueva Vida. Yes? Nice. What about uh, uh, New Life Church Oregon City? There we go. How about New Life West Lynn? And New Life Wilsonville? Awesome. Here we are in one place, okay? The sign says New Life Church. But yet, there are now five congregations in our midst, worshiping together today, though we live in different cities, though we attend different schools and worship regularly in different locations. This reality isn't an accident, okay? That's what you need to know this morning, though we kind of stumbled into it. So I need to tell you the story of how this came to be. 18 years ago, a church in Westland was outgrowing its building and its parking spaces and set out to start another church three miles up the road, also in Westland. That's a problem when your name is Westland Baptist Church. And so at that time, uh, 
what is now New Life Church, voted unanimously to say, we want to change the name to New Life Church so that we can be a church that plants churches that play well together. And so in that year, we planted New Life Church Robinwood. And because the locations were so close together, we, we wanted to play well together. We remained connected. In fact, closely connected. And we found that we liked that approach to ministry. It made life easier in many senses. That location has since closed, but let me tell you the story. Describe what it started for New Life Church. Because we kept dreaming, kept praying about planting more churches. In 2012, we launched New Life Church Wilsonville. And we kept talking about planting more churches. In 2019, that conversation went public enough that there was a church in Gladstone that said, maybe instead of planting this year, you would consider adopting a congregation in Gladstone. And so in 2019, that family of New Life Church grew. And then in 2020, Nueva Vida joined the New Life Church family, and we were busier than ever during a pandemic in multiple languages, in multiple places, but kept praying about planting more churches. What does it look like for us to plant more churches? And we kept waiting on the Lord to guide our steps until 2021 when he made that clear. My family uh, moved to Oregon City to begin the work of starting a new church here. And guess what? We're still praying about the next church plant. Lord willing, we will all have a hand in starting many more New Life Church congregations, so keep your hand to the plow. One of the questions that I receive most frequently as we're here in Oregon City is, why Oregon City? There are so many churches here. You might have passed 20 on your way in this morning. And you know what? That's true. There are many churches in this city, and in your cities, frankly, that share even that gospel-centered DNA that you appreciate about New Life Church. In fact, in every weekly gathering in any of our congregations, we set aside time to pray for these other churches and to pray for our partners with that same gospel-centered DNA around the world. But you know what? And here's my answer. We're not here to compete. It's not like there's a franchise model and there's too many McDonald's. We're planting in Oregon City because 5,000 people are expected to move in off Beaver Creek Road in the next couple of years as Oregon City becomes one of Portland Metro's eight uh, hubs of commerce and serve an estimated half a million people. The mission of God is why we plant a church in Oregon City. Not because we need another location and another satellite campus where there's another gathering of people, but because the mission of God is realized as his people are mobilized in the city and neighborhood in which they live. As we have then ventured down this road as one church in many locations, it's not been without its challenges, but the reality is that the work has been worth it. Because this, to see the gospel unleashed in not one city, but four cities, and not one language, but two languages. And that's the point of why we've chosen to structure New Life Church the way we have. Our structure 
is an application of the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples to make disciples. I'll say that another way. We plant churches in order to obey the great commission of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And this also isn't an accident. If you have a Bible with you, please get it out and open to the book of Romans. It is a letter to the church in Rome. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible, or about a thousand thumb swipes if you're starting at the top on your phone. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, we quickly realize we're reading someone else's mail. And it says this in verse 7, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In introducing this letter, the Apostle Paul is intending for the church in Rome to receive this letter. Notice how he refers to them. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It is those descriptors that define what the church is. The church is not a building. The church is not something you do or somewhere you go. The church is the people who belong to God, who are loved by Him and called to be saints, who are set apart ones for His purpose. And that identity now shapes and really reorients all of life, including these people get together with one another. The word your Bible translates as church literally means a gathering or assembly because the church is the people of God, not a person of God. And we refer, when we're talking about the church in this sense, we're referring to what we call the universal church. Okay, the universal church is made up of people from every tribe and language and nation and people group in the past, in the present, and in the future who all belong to Christ. These are the people who are loved by God and set apart to be saints. And it is a glorious reality that those people are all going to be gathered together one day. There will be a universal church gathering one day where all of these people from all of history are gathered around the throne of the king who died to save them. Now that is true, okay? That day is coming, but admittedly, that's a little bit hard to pull off right now. To get people from every part of the world, from every part of history, into one space. And so the universal church then is broken up into what we call smaller local churches. Okay? People loved by God, set apart as saints in a specific locale, in a specific time. And here in Romans chapter 1, it's clear that... This letter is addressed to a specific local church, to those in Rome. But I want you to see this church is structured, how it works, how it's organized. So flip over to the 
last chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. Paul has spent the entire letter describing the countless ways that the gospel changes everything. And beginning in verse 3 of chapter 16, I'll read this for you and I'll try my best, okay? Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord, and Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, in my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, wait a minute. I thought that this letter that we're reading, the mail we're in, was written to one local church, the church in Rome. And you're right. But notice, Prisca and Aquila, and also the, the church in their house. Urbanus, our fellow worker over here. Aristobulus and his family. Those in the Lord belonging to the family of Narcissus over here. Another gathering happens in Rome of a syncretist flag on Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Another gathering happens in Rome of Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them over here. One church in Rome in many locations. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, nobility and poverty form the church in Rome. So the universal church of those loved by God and called to be saints has a united local expression in Rome. And the local church in Rome has several smaller expressions in regions, neighborhoods, and homes within Rome. And they apparently know each other intimately and are called then to greet each other affectionately. They don't compete with one another. They complete each other. Does that sound familiar? A letter written to New Life Church might sound a bit like this. Okay, you can't turn there. I'm making it up. But the letter to the New Lifeians, chapter 1, might open like this. Greet those who are loved by God and called to be saints in Clackamas County. And then, turning over, New Lifeians, chapter 16, might conclude with salutations that sound like this. Greet Scott and Marcia. My fellow workers in the church in West Lynn. Greet the Tatum of Wilsonville. Greet the families of John and Katie and all the families in Gladstone. 
Greet Adolfo, Eliel, and Raphael and the other brothers of Nueva Vida. And don't forget Lauren and Ben, Sierra and Christian, Madison and Andrew, Andy and Taylor, and the families that meet in their homes in Oregon City. Many little churches gathered in one space to do what the church has done for 2,000 years. To celebrate what God has done. To hang on to the promise that He is coming again. One of the ways then that the church has done that throughout history here is to celebrate the Lord's Supper or Communion. A few pages over in his letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul writes really specific instruction about what communion or the Lord's Supper is supposed to look like among the church in Corinth. You see, instead of becoming a a manifestation of their unity, it had become really an An experiment in disunity. The rich sat close to the table and gorged themselves while the poor were forced to the outsides. And you wonder why we have these little tiny cups with little tiny wafers. It's because we are going to be equal in our standing before the Lord. We are going to be united and recognize that his blood was shed freely for each one of us and his body broken for us. So this morning, if you are one of those who is loved by God and set apart to be a saint, you have have decided to follow Jesus in a life of faith. As one church united in many locations, would you please take the bread and the cup and we will follow the words in 1 Corinthians 11. You'll open the top part, you'll have the bread. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat that bread and drink that cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Church, you are in Christ. And you are one. Church, you are the bride of Christ. And he is coming for you. And one day our feast around his table, there will be no restraint in the size of the cup or the size of the wafer. And our joy will be full.
So the universal church made up of those who love, are loved by God and called to be saints had a local expression in Rome made up of many other smaller local expressions across the city. And the structure of New Life Church imitates that model. But why? To what end? For what purpose? Why would we organize as one church in many locations instead of just doing our own thing? To begin to answer those questions, I want to answer a different question. Why would the Apostle Paul decide that this is how he would organize the church in Rome? I've hinted at this answer already. Planting local churches was the Apostle Paul's strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28, you may know them, are these... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission then is reiterated in the book of Acts, which outlines what the disciples did to apply, to live out that commission. In Acts 1.8, which is in your worship folder, It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The mission of Christ given to his disciples was to make disciples. Going, baptizing, and teaching, his disciples were to be witnesses, proclaiming and demonstrating the good news about Jesus. So the mission, the mandate, so to speak, is to make disciples. But this morning isn't really about the mandate. This is about the method. This is about how, how we do that. If you were the Apostle Paul, And you had just given your life to the massacre of Christians. And everywhere you went, you were hunting a local church, not to visit, but to destroy. And you were riding your horse, and a light blinded you and knocked you off your horse. And Jesus' voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you decided, because your heart had been changed, to give your life now to following the Lord Where would you start in your effort to make disciples? What would you do if you were going to follow him? The Apostle Paul probably could have started a nonprofit that served the marginalized and outcast in Rome. Or probably could have built a megachurch and just hoped that enough people would come and that they would travel from all kinds of distances, donkey back, and would attend this great church. But the method that he chose was to plant churches as he went. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's about how these churches all came to be. And he makes it clear in a letter written to one of those church leaders in the book of Titus, chapter 1. He says this to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete 
so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. His method for making disciples is to plant churches. As he goes, okay, that's the ongoing action of going. He preaches Christ and makes a few disciples along the way. And then he trains someone, Titus in this case, and says, Titus, here's a merry band of disciples. Now you, I'm going to keep going, but, but you finish the work. Appoint some elders here and in the other gatherings that are happening in town. Basically, establish a local church here. This was the ongoing work to which he gave his life, making disciples as he was going and establishing local churches among whom those disciples would be baptized and taught. So it is, for the same reason, to the same end, that New Life Church is organized in this way. In order to fulfill Jesus' great commission by making disciples, New Life Church aims to engage the Northwest with the gospel by being a church that plants churches. The unity of New Life Church, the one churchness, as well as the distinction and uniqueness of each congregation, makes planting churches possible. I want to get even more granular now about some of the mechanics of how the unity and the uniqueness coalesce in our cooperation in the mission of Jesus in this city. Among other things, we share a gospel DNA, we share a mission, we share leadership and a budget, okay? I set them out of order. We share a mission, DNA, leadership, and a budget. The mission of New Life Church that we share is to engage those who are disconnected from God so that they delight in Him through Jesus. You knew that, right? Where do we do that mission? Where do we aim to engage people? In the Northwest. That's well, one of the reasons um, that we have an NW on our URL for our website is because newlife.com was taken already. But really, because if the Lord wills, New Life Church will be a part of Jesus reaching the Northwest. If the Lord helps us, the Pacific Northwest will hear and respond to the good news about Jesus. The Pacific Northwest, which you love for its trees and its mountains and its rivers, is one of the biggest mission fields in North America. There is endless work to be done right here in this city, in your city. So now we share that mission statement, we share that geographic area, and we work together toward that purpose. But we do it in homogeneous ways, where we're all doing the same things, but in distinct ways. Unique ways, specialized ways, ways that could be inconceivable if we were only structured any other way. Our Westland congregation, for example, serves the students at Westland High School far better than those of you who are part of our Gladstone congregation. 
But those of you who are in Gladstone serve the faculty and students at Candy Lane Elementary far better than those of you who are part of the West Lynn congregation. And so if we are aiming to even, even engage the schools within the cities we live, this model is helpful in mobilizing us to that end. If you aren't familiar, the sum distance between the, the gathering locations in Westland and Gladstone is about 200 feet from both of those schools, the sum. Uh, uh, furthermore, the Oregon City Congregation will really never engage, really never reach residents in Wilsonville quite like the Wilsonville Congregation can through picnics in the park. So the mission really determines, it really drives our need to structure or organize ourselves in a way that we are mobilized into these areas. We genuinely believe that by mobilizing a congregation to engage their neighborhood and city, we can collectively actually begin to imagine reaching the Northwest with the good news of Jesus. Now, I've used that word engage a lot. And um, what we mean by that is that we are going to make an intentional attempt. We're not going to live unengaged, hoping that things happen, but make an intentional attempt to make disciples as we go by even just knowing people well enough to speak the good news of Jesus and address their specific needs. So we share a mission. We also share a DNA, which is really the power by which that mission now is, is lived and realized. One of the things I love about New Life Church is what was described last week. The gospel is the center. You can walk through the doors at any one of our locations and you will be welcomed by Christ. The gospel will be preached, the gospel will be sung, the gospel will be prayed, the gospel will be depended upon for power in ministry and for a new life. We are universal as a, as a church in our dependence upon the gospel. But even there, we are particular in how it is communicated. For example, in Westland, the, the gospel confronts the idols of comfort and success and in Oregon City, we don't give a rip about those things. We want our independence, and so we have a no trespassing sign, and the gospel intersects us there. And so we're going to communicate it even differently, articulate it differently. As Acts 1.8 outlined, we are witnesses to Christ in Jerusalem. So you're going to speak a certain language in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so with the gospel at the center, it's going to be communicated in a variety of ways as a church is mobilized in its community. So you could say, then, that the shared mission of New Life Church to engage those disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus, and that central DNA that we're, gonna do, we're just going to live and die on the truth that Jesus died and lived. Those realities now move us, motivate us 
to plant churches that share that mission and that gospel-centered DNA. And the next two things that we share, you could say, are some of the ways that we grease the skids so that we are uh, more nimble as a multi-site church to plant churches. I'll share two of those. One is uh, we share leadership. The leadership structure of New Life Church reflects our unity and our uniqueness. We share a couple really important things. Our central services and we have centralized staff. So Lisa and Kim have a hand in just about everything that happens in New Life Church. Everything that gets printed, the website is maintained, the books are kept. And you could perhaps imagine what your congregation would look like if, um, if we, you were on your own, really, without the, the centralized life group support that Eric provides or the centralized youth group effort that David leads or uh, the opportunity to sing with one of the band members that Ben leads. As we plant a new church, I am thankful for a, a shared leadership to not need to reinvent anything here in some sense. That the website's maintained, the books are kept, our life group leaders are developed. The fact that we have leadership that we share frees us to plant churches. We also share, as a part of that leadership, a centralized executive elder team. One of the things you remember Paul told Titus is to appoint elders in every town. This team is responsible for uh, the governance, the protection of the entire family of New Life Church. A very helpful, critical role in the church, to be sure. In, in some sense, maybe I'm overselling the, the unity. Why don't we just centralize everything? Just make it all just something that we share. Just do one big church. A challenge that many church locations will inevitably face is this, that you matter. You matter. And a centralized staff and elders won't be able to know you well enough to shepherd you and care for you well. So we're also unique in our leadership. We're not all just uniform, and each congregation appoints congregational elders that shepherd and care for each member of each congregation who gets the specialized discipleship and care that they need. Another thing that we share that helps us plan churches is we share a budget. One thing you might notice maybe for the first time this November at our annual budget and elections meeting is that you hold one document when you're looking at our budget. You don't hold five documents. When you give financially to the general fund of New Life Church, you are giving to support not one congregation, but each congregation as well as the leadership we share, as well as those who are, we have sent who are serving the Lord and planting churches all over the world. And so really the desire of the elders, the needs of the church is that you'd mark general fund when you give, knowing that you are one supporting many. Now when you designate, when you, when you do give and designate to a specific designation, it goes there. <laughs> 
but you are one church in many locations. And I'll tell you what, I have been thankful for this. To not have spent the first year of church planting work raising funds to provide for my family and to uh, really cover the startup expenses has been an enormous blessing. Our work in Oregon City is enhanced through the shared leadership and the shared budget of New Life Church and its generosity. But just as the unity of that budget we share is a strength, also the uniqueness is a strength. We are, in a sense, separating our hazards by being together. A, a, a roof project on one campus doesn't capsize the mission. We're still hard at work in many areas, doing many things, mobilized by our structure. We have much more leverage because we play together in these areas than if we play apart. Now, here's the deal. I told you we'd get granular, and that might have felt pretty, pretty granular, pretty riveting. But I'm going to get more granular. Okay? New Life Church has many congregations. One church, many locations. Those congregations are made up of life groups, really, that get together every Sunday. And in those life groups are individuals. You. Here's what I need to be clear about this morning. The structure of New Life Church does not accomplish the mission of Jesus in the world. You do. New Life Church, as it is organized, is just a 501c3. New Life Church, as a people loved by God and set apart for His purposes in the world, is a powerful force for His kingdom. And so it is that the structure mobilizes you to this mission. The onus is put on you, the individual, as a player in this organization. If you're a member at New Life Church, I'll remind you, you have covenanted with the other members of New Life Church to play your part. And if you're visiting this morning, uh, I hope you hear that we're serious about this. The words of Jesus, we are intent to follow. And so with all earnestness, with all intentionality, New Life Church intends to make a difference for the kingdom of God in the Northwest. And all of you, each one of us has a role to play. We're organized this way as a church that plants churches that remain connected, really so that you are not given the option to be a spectator. You're given the opportunity and motivation to get in the game. New Life Church is designed to mobilize you for ministry. Mobilize you to be an ambassador of the kingdom of Jesus. The game is where all the excitement is. It's not very fun on the bleachers. You can get in the game, okay, in New Life Church, in your congregation, by serving. 
in your local congregation. One of the things that really we rub against every time in this structure is that it is very dependent on people who are giving their lives away for the king and his purposes. It's very dependent on uh, willing servants in each congregation. Opportunities abound in your congregation as even fall ministries are started here. You can get in the game by joining a life group. Our structure throws more weight, really, at the importance of our life groups for your own personal, spiritual, holistic well-being than other program-centered church structures might provide. And one of the most critical ways that you can get in the game is by making your life count in making disciples, by engaging your neighborhood, your city, your school, now, all of those things, your neighborhood, your city, your school, they're, they're really created passively. They'll just happen on accident. You're not making a plan with everybody that lives in your neighborhood to buy a house in that street or a plan with all the people in your city to go to the same school. But neighborhoods are formed intentionally. You do not form a community where the good news is heard and spoken into the lives of people on accident. It won't happen on accident. And our explicit desire by our structure is to mobilize you, to bloom where you're planted, to flourish there, and to form this neighborhood into the person of Christ. To be a beacon, a, a city on a hill. And so... In the center of that worship folder you received today is a QR code. It was mentioned at the beginning that will take you to a website called Bless Every Home. This website will help you. Trust me, it will help you to interact with your neighbors on a spiritual level. It will help you to start by praying for them. Now, some of you have a phone out. I don't want to, we're going to wait. We're just going to wait until you've done that. Because I don't want to hope that you remember later or that you remember that it came in an email on Wednesday and that it's in your inbox buried somewhere. Serious, I'm waiting. Because we really believe, okay? We really believe that we are better together when we collaborate in our effort to engage the Northwest by equipping you to be a missionary in your neighborhood where you meet in your congregation. We really believe that you're more than a bench warmer. You matter to the mission that God has in the world. You are loved and set apart by God. We really believe that we will be a church that plants churches that complement each other in their mission because we each, both as congregations and individuals, play our part in that mission. And I fear that many of us, much of the time, are disengaged. Many of us hope that'll happen. So would you embrace the mission of the one who loves you? 
the mission of the church that you're sitting amongst today and get in the game. As we close this morning, we want to illustrate really one of the ways that one church in many locations works together to plant more churches. As a church that plants churches, we are all church planters. And the fundamental work of a church planter is not a social media campaign. The fundamental work of a church planter is to pray. So I want to invite our lead pastor, Scott Reevely, to come lead us as we do that together this morning. Maybe you listen to Taylor and he's like inspiring you to be, you know, a missionary in your neighborhood and your first reaction is, I can't do that. I'm not up for that. Well, guess what? You're right. And that's the whole point. None of us are really up for it. We all think we're up for it and we're not up for it. And so the only... Um, I mean, you'll remember even the uh, Acts 1.8, after the Holy Spirit came, they received power. And that's, that's where it comes from, is from the Lord. And so um, I'm going to have all of you, if you would, please stand up if you're able. And I'm going to pray for you that you might be the missionaries that you were just challenged to be that your neighborhoods would be different because you live there, that your communities would be different because you serve in your church and you love the people that are around you. So let me just, uh, let me pray for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are not uh, up for this. And we recognize that Jesus died and rose again, that uh, you might receive glory and that the world might be changed. And so, Father, we ask that you would just empower us, even as school starts, even as we all change routines here in these next few weeks, would you build into our lives uh, relationships with our neighbors and coworkers and relatives that uh, are at a different level than they've been? Would you... Would you give us the courage to start conversations that really matter? Would you help us to represent Jesus everywhere we go? And Father, the reality is we do represent Jesus everywhere we go. Would you help us to represent him well? So, Father, we trust you that uh, you would be pleased to, to bless us, to give us grace to do what we can't do, to be holy when we aren't always holy to be bold when we're otherwise afraid. And so, Father, I, we just trust you that you would help us to be uh, those kinds of missionaries. And uh, so I ask for your help now for all of my friends and brothers and sisters here. In the name of Jesus, amen.